Hey, this is Jerry Legere, and you're listening to The Northern Report. Well, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, friends. Welcome to The Northern Report. I'm your host, Sean Burns, and I'm coming right at you from Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. Here on The Northern Report, I aim to shine a light on emerging and existing Canadian talent, as well as some of the legends we're still lucky to have with us. My guest on today's show is Jerry Legier. Born and bred in the East End of Toronto, Ontario, Jerry is a well-respected and prolific singer-songwriter with an impressive body of art. Legier has received praise from those in the know, as it were, and has been showered with accolades from critics and musicians alike. He has been called one of Canada's best by Exclaim, a gifted storyteller by the Toronto Star, and one of the best Canadian songwriters by Rolling Stone. Ron Sexsmith, Jim Lauderdale, Michael Timmons of Cowboy Junkies, and yours truly are known fans and supporters of Jerry Legere's. He's seemingly always hard at work on something, and his all-in, dedicated approach to life as an artist is something that I have a lot of time and admiration for. The pandemic forced the rescheduling of an extensive tour behind his fantastic 2019 record, Time Out for Tomorrow, but that didn't slow progress down. The record, which garnered fabulous reviews, helped increase the buzz surrounding Jerry's work, despite not being able to tour the record. He's used his time and efforts wisely in the months since, releasing his Songs from the Apartment album, a poetry book entitled Just Like the Nightbirds, a handful of singles, and for subscribers to his mailing list, while they're in for a real treat later this week. We'll talk about all of that and his journey from making homemade CDs in high school to being signed by Latent Records. I hope you'll enjoy my chat with Jerry Legere. Hey. Hey, man. How you doing? Good. How are you? Good, good. Good to, uh, good to catch up with you like this. No, definitely. Uh, thanks for asking me. I've, uh, I've got a whole bunch of, uh, of questions I've kind of always wanted to ask you because you, you always seem like you're up to something, and I, I really dig that. Yeah, I've I've always liked to stay busy because you know that's that's sort of now that I've I've uh, as I get older and stuff like that. Looking back on my whole life and stuff, my dad has just had this crazy work ethic since he was a kid. I think I really get that part of it from him. You know, he he's uh, he grew up quite poor in Newfoundland, and he always had like a couple jobs from like you know the age of 12 or something and and uh he's in his 70s now and he's still constantly working on stuff you know he finally fully retired last year but he's constantly working on stuff so i think i get a uh, uh the work ethic from him and and uh and also a thing that uh leonard cohen used to say uh when he was asked like what what uh success is to him 
And he came from writing poetry books and stuff like that, you know, in the 50s and 60s before his recording career. And these books would sell, you know, 100, 200 copies and then be forgotten. But then 20 years later, they're selling 200,000 copies, 500,000 copies. So he said, you have to look at success a different way when, when stuff like that happens. And I see success as survival. And, and I think that's what it is for me, you know. It's it's survival for me, you know, is it, it, uh, creating and working on stuff. And, and uh, it's just a way to um, keep feeding myself and then hopefully people dig it and they're into it. Yeah, it's like so few of us that do this are going to get rich. And if you can do stuff that you want to do that you really believe in, like, I think that's the most important thing, you know, is to be able to stand by the shit that you've put put out. Oh yeah, completely. And, and, you know, you say that about me, but you've been quite busy too. You know, you've put out uh, different records and, and uh, also records uh, involving other, bringing other people into it and, and, uh, and helping out. And now you're doing this podcast. And so, yeah, there's a lot of us that, that it's so, it's so uh, much a part of, our life and our makeup and, and not only what makes us happy, but, uh, it, it really, yeah, it's what we do, right. It's what we do and, and it's what we want to do, but we kind of have to do it too, because it, it's, it's a part of that survival. Oh yeah, man. Like the, the, especially when you, you're so used to playing live often and getting the release and, and the connection with the people. And like, you know, at the end of the gig, it's like, I always kind of equate things to like a hockey background. You know, it's like, I feel like you, you just finished a 60 minute game and you're wiped out, but there's like, I don't know, it's really rewarding. And to not get that feeling anymore being home, it's like, I needed to find things to to do and things to offer because i feel like i'm at my best when i'm offering something you know yeah and and we've really gone back to uh yeah a lot of artists that we love uh uh from decades ago where playing live uh yeah show after show that that was really a huge makeup of of uh of, of how you had a career or a job or you know were able to make money because once upon a time, you know, records also weren't, uh, there wasn't a lot of people that could afford them. And, and uh, so playing live was a huge part of it. And there wasn't, uh, well, TV, now TV's dead, but uh, there wasn't <laughs> the internet. There wasn't all these these other avenues that, that you could you could use to, to uh, bring your music to people and, and uh so it's it's really gone back to that where we have to be on the road all the time or playing all the time, especially music that that uh, that we make. It's more niche, you know. It's I mean I think it it can. I think a lot of different people do are into it and could be into it if they were exposed to it. But yeah, at this point, a, a lot of what a lot of music that I put out is uh, there's like a certain certain crowd that's really going to be into it so that that makes it uh it makes it harder to even use those other avenues or have something like radio support you like i think it's amazing that you know like you've you've played my music a lot on your radio show and and uh 
I'm very thankful for that because it's it's uh, it's not always easy to to get this kind of music, even on like a non-commercial non-commercial radio. It's it's not always easy, you know. It's it's uh, yeah. You know, it's strange. I think a lot of people would be into it. So I, I really appreciate that you, you've yeah. included me in, in those, you know. My pleasure, man. And uh, like going back to just just like sh- the sheer uh, level of output, it's like I feel like there was a time when you were expected to put something out every year and sometimes more than once a year. Yeah, I mean, those old country guys. Or, or jazz guys, you know, yeah. uh, they were putting out three, four records a year, you know, just every three months, there'd be a new collection of, of songs. And, and uh, yeah, now it's, it's, it's not so much like that anymore. Uh, but I mean, I write a lot. I, mean, I wish, you know, sometimes I wish I could put out more, which is a bit silly, you know, maybe that's, uh, you know, some inflated ego thing, <laughs> but, but, uh, you know, just cause you get, you write a bunch, you know, you get into a rhythm and, and, and a bunch of things come out and then you want to get it out before your mind goes in a different direction. You know, I've had that where I, I wrote a bunch of songs and, you know, it could have been a great, uh, rockabilly record, but, but, uh, you know, finances or, or, uh, well, since I've been on a label and stuff like that, you have to go with the schedules and, and, and all that stuff. So, you know, I then end up getting into a different mood and write a bunch of other songs. And now I'm not feeling like making a rockabilly record or I'm not feeling like, you know, uh, uh, flexing more of a, a, a country and Western muscle, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, I just I really love writing and I love making records and I love that that process you know I I, I really do because I came from I grew up with with uh, lots of records around in in uh, my house and like my dad still collects records uh, and so I was always fascinated by that you know I was a real music record nerd before I started to to play and write and that's what drove me to want to do that because it was like you know hearing these these different artists i wanted to do what they did so it, it really it really comes from that so I, I i don't know i think the me being uh fairly prolific is 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 also uh the enjoyment i get out of it but you know it's 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 frustrating, of course, when when something goes out and and you're really behind it and you feel very passionate about it and and it and it doesn't quite, you know, come off with the general public or or uh, you know you can't you can't uh, uh, reach a certain goal you wanted to with its performance. But then that also motivates me to to keep going and putting out more records. You know, I mean, did did you grow up in Toronto? Yeah, I grew up in the uh, east end of Toronto, where I, I still am. Um, you know, I live like a fifteen-minute walk from from my parents, which is quite nice. You know, to to be able to walk over there, and and I saw them the other day, and just hung out in the the backyard with them, and and uh, yeah, I really love the east end in particular because it's uh, it's it's a lot more quiet. 
you know, like mm-hmm. downtown, I, 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 I couldn't get into, you know, it's like too fast paced. Not, you know, not that I, I enjoy things to be very slow or anything, but um, I find it a bit distracting. You know, I, I, I always figured that I wouldn't write as much as I do if I, if I lived in that environment, you know, like I'd constantly be distracted and, you know, I, I mean, I did hang out downtown a lot, you know, through my twenties and, you know, that you would kind of, uh, there's a lot of time, you know, wasted getting into that, uh, that whole scene, but yeah, I love living in the East end for, for that, you know, I can hunker down and, and work on stuff and, you know, I'm not, I'm not much of a party animal anyways, you know, I've been uh, accused of being reclusive in the past, which is kind of a joke just cause I've, just cause I've been on the road so much and I'm like, you know, uh, you know, when you're, when you're in bars and all kinds of rooms, clubs, like, you know, for months on end and then you come home, it's like the last thing I want to do is like live in a bar for, you know, for seven days. So you were writing like very early on, like before, before you're a teenager, you began, began to write. Yeah. I mean, of course, all those songs were dreadful or they were, <laughs> uh, you know, they were just, you know, I think one sounded exactly like Ticket to Ride, you know, you're just, yeah. you're just uh, emulating and you're, you're figuring it out. But, but those are the, the lessons and, and, listening to records you know it's just those are and then learning how to play other songs i i started doing that too like figuring out how to play uh beatles songs and then hank williams songs and stuff because they were you know a few chords and by the time i was like a teenager like 14 15 you know some of them started it started coming together then i was still finding my voice and what I wanted to do. I, you know, for a little bit, I, I, I was sounding like David Bowie cause I was listening to David Bowie a lot. So I had this kind of slight British accent and I was playing, you know, more rock and roll and stuff, you know, just trying different things out, but the songs were starting to get better where there, there was like a, a more of like a structure and my voice was, was changing, which was good. Cause it was, it's still kind of, Hi, which is why I can do those Hank songs really well. But yeah. when I was when I was a kid, it was it was it was way high. So it's funny listening to some of those old tapes because I had a little tape recorder that I would record all this stuff on. And eventually, I got a four track during high school, and that was really. Uh, I'm so happy that I had that because that that really helped with trying things out and developing things. And you know, I started getting like a, a, a real uh, sense of pride of what I was doing because I was able to like layer a few things on, on top of a basic track. And, and then I would transfer the four track songs onto a CD. And, I, and during high school, I was selling CDs for five bucks <laughs> and, and, not a lot of my friends, actually, none of my friends bought that. I, uh, <laughs> I mean, when I started playing live, my friends never came to see me. But I started selling these CDs to to teachers, and I guess I sold them to some some classmates. But uh, 
a, a friend of mine recently uh, sent me a link uh, to Discogs. Yeah. And and somebody for a hundred bucks is selling one of those CDs that I was selling <laughs> during high school. Isn't that? That's you know, cool. I mean, man. thankfully, I still I you know not the songs. I don't think the songs are brilliant or anything, but they have kind of a the sound has kind of like a vibe. I would always run. Uh, the vocals through like echo and reverb and stuff like that. So there's like a real vibe to them. So I'm not like embarrassed by it, thankfully, but it's it's kind of funny to. I'm more embarrassed by the the artwork. Like I saw that, I haven't seen it since I was a teenager, and it's like, oh man, I don't know who's gonna buy that. But your you know. first record came out in 2005. Vic, you're you're still what like 19 or 20 years old at this point. Yeah, we recorded it uh, when I was 19, and then, yeah, I came out uh, a few months after I turned 20, and, and that was in, that was supposed to be uh, just a demo session. We were just going to go in and do a few songs, and by this time, yeah, I I, I put a band together. Kyle was in the band, and, and he knew a bass player, this guy, Corey, that, that he, he played a few shows with. And he's like, oh, you know, it's kind of like a P best thing. It's like, oh, we need a bass player. And we didn't know anybody. And Kyle remembered this guy that that uh, that played bass. Like, yeah, you know, he's he's good. You know, we can get him in. So we'd only been a band, like a, a, a three-piece, since uh, we got that together, I think, like the September or October 2004, and then March 2005 we were uh, doing this demo session and Tim Bovacani was producing it. He, uh, that first session, we ended up getting five tracks down because I was, you know, I was really adamant about doing it live off the floor. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I really wanted that. I didn't want to lose that energy and that like that real, you know, I, I was really against um, especially against redoing vocals. I was not going to stand for that. So we ended up doing <laughs> like six songs in the first day. And then Tim was like, why don't we book another day and we'll make a record. And man, I've always wanted at this point, I'm like, man, I've always wanted to make a record. You know, I've been obsessed with albums since I was a kid. So yeah. I was totally gung ho, you know? So it, it's a document of, of where we were at. I still think, I mean, I haven't listened to it in years, but I feel like it has the, the the piss and vinegar that every debut record I, I think uh, should have, you know. How, how did you hook up with Tim? And for the folks that don't know Tim, can you tell us a bit about him and his background? Yeah, Tim, uh, well, he's still just one of the best uh, uh, musicians that I've ever heard. And uh, he... Uh, most people who do know him would know him from uh, being in Ron Saxmith's band for many years, and uh, and and also playing with uh, in, in Burton Cummings' band the last uh, well while now years. Mm-hmm. I came. I don't know when he joined that band, but that, he's still playing with him. Um, but he's also done a lot of session work with. Uh, People like Jerry Lee Lewis, and and uh, in in the '90s he was in Kim Stockwood's band, and uh, oh, right on. Yeah, and I I, uh, I I met him. I was 17, sneaking in the bars, you know, during going to like open stages and stuff like that, and up the street 
from where I lived, there used to be this uh, this bar called Mackey's on the Danforth. And on Sunday nights, they had a, an open jam. So I went there and it was hosted by Terrence Gowan. You know Gowan? Yeah, I actually know. I, yeah. I ran into Terrence, uh, I forget where, but he's he was really cool. Yeah, he's a he's a nice guy and and he's he's a great player. He's a he, he actually played on the first two records. But anyways, he was hosting this this open jam and I started going there and and nobody was taking me seriously. I was just a kid, you know. Mm. And he would always put me on at the end of the night, like one thirty in the morning. And, you know, I'm, I'm in school, like I'm <laughs> getting up Monday morning to go to school, but like, this is what I wanted to do. So, and, and I had a lot of confidence as a lot of people do when they're young, you know, I'm 17 and I think I'm like the best thing that nobody's ever heard. Oh yeah. So, so I had a lot of inner confidence. So I'd put up with it and, and go up there and play at one thirty and, 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 nobody would play with me because they had a band right that would back people up it was like terrence and and tim and a few other people nobody would play with me except for tim tim was like like man i like what you're doing like can i you know can, can i play with you so every sunday i would i would show up and tim would play with me and gradually People like uh, Lindy, great singer-songwriter, he started getting really into what I was doing. But Terrence was really, you know, suspicious of my abilities for for a good amount of time. It wasn't until like a year later, I kind of disappeared for a bit, you know. I mean, to me, it was like a Robert Johnson thing. But in reality, <laughs> I probably disappeared for like three months and I came back not like not better but i came back with a bass player and a drummer so uh i came back and now the jam was at another bar called the only because mackie's had closed i heard it had some some mafia connection and it, it it got closed up so now it's at this new bar and i showed up with with my two guys and my my new band so it was those two and then tim on guitar and then and I had a lot of like, you know, I'm just like eating the mic and I'm, <sighs> you know, cause it, it was like my older brothers, you know, it like, it just gave me that much more, you know, of a reason to like try to for people. So Terrence started coming around and he got really into it, you know, and then it was kind of like this happy family for the next, you know, year or so, like every Sunday and there'd be different people like, you know, Danny Michelle would show up, John Southworth, uh, Jen Grant, like all these, uh, Andy Kim, Ron Saxsmith, uh, all these people were showing up to this jam. So it was, it was quite, it was cool for me because I had always felt like an outsider, you know, I felt like an outsider in school. And then when I started playing, you know, these little folk clubs when I was a teenager, I felt I was like, I wasn't in anybody's treehouse, you know, and, and, uh, and, and I mean, even now, even now I feel like a bit, you know, uh, at, at times I feel uh, a bit like, you know, uh, uh, on the outside, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, but it was, those are, those are fun times. You know, when I think about it now, it was, uh, 
it was really cool being around a lot of these players who were much older than me. So I was able to like learn from them. And, and uh, the first time I heard Tim play guitar, it was just unbelievable. And, and playing with them, you know, to this day, it's like, you never have to worry. He's just one of those guys that, you know, he, he always leaves a room. He, he never gets in the way. And then when he plays, it's, it's like, he's always been part of that song or, or he's been in that, that's, you know, the world of that song already. It's, you know, he's, he's one of the best and he's one of my best friends. He's one of the, the greatest guys around, you know, he worked on a, like the first, first uh, two or three of your records, like as producer. Yeah. The first, uh, the first six records. Oh shit. He, he yeah. The first six he, he produced, or co- he one was co-produced with Don Kerr, and another one was co-produced with uh, Josh Finlayson from the Skydiggers. Okay. Um, just because I wanted to have, I always, I always love working with him. So I, I still wanted him there because he, he's one of those guys that just, you know, he, 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 he isn't, uh, he gets ideas every second, you know, from, from hearing a song, you know, and, and, uh, but then there was like a couple records where I, I thought it would be cool to have, you know, Don or John or sorry, Josh Finlayson. Cause with that record with Josh and, and Tim, uh, I, I was really going for like that early life foot vibe, those United artists mm-hmm. records where they're so full sounding, but they're like mainly acoustic. It's like two acoustics and a bass. And it's like, I want to have a record that sounds like that, you know? So it was good having uh, Josh there too, to, to, you know, reinforce that and, and uh, keep us on track. I mean, the last like 15 or 16 years or so, you've put out a, like a ton of music, maybe 10 or so full lengths. There's a live album, this retrospective, some EPs and a number of singles. It's kind of hard to determine how many uh, based on the Bandcamp and Spotify pages. Uh, what's what's the official number of, of records for you? Yeah, well, now it's I put that apartment album out last year. Um, so I, I've, I've put out 10 albums and then I put out a few albums with like side projects that, that I have, you know, I put out the first album with, uh, Cowboy Junkies label late recordings and it didn't, it didn't do as well as, I mean, Mike is a beautiful guy and he certainly knows how things are. So, I mean, he never said anything negative but i knew that the album didn't do as well as we were hoping so i was kind of bummed out about that and i felt more pressure because you know it wasn't my money anymore and it wasn't you know there's more people involved and uh you know i'm trying to keep things afloat so i I was feeling a bit like run down so i started this crazy band the delphi's i had no expectations and there was no pressure it was just like a crazy band and so we put out two records and uh yeah and i put out a couple other things so yeah under my own name it's been about 10 records and a live record and then and then like a few with other crazy you know out of the box bands that i've put together you know so it's yeah I, don't, I can't, it's weird that it's, 
you know, it's crazy that it's, uh, I guess they add up, right? Oh yeah. I'm, yeah. Especially when you're going every year or so. And, uh, well, what was the first one with latent? Uh, that was a, a record called early riser. That's the first and, one I've uh, heard of yours. Yeah, I think that's when I met you. Uh, I think I saw you guys in 2017 was the first time, and maybe the time... Okay. Yeah, the time you were here before that, I think you had your band, I was on the road, uh, my wife was working at the club, and she bought the record. So that's the okay. first one. Oh, yeah, okay. and then when you guys rolled through, it was just you and Dan uh, in 2017, right, right. and I think you were meeting up with the rest of your guys out west or something like that, so... That's um, right. I remember that now. Yeah. 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 That was the nonsense and the heartache record. Yes. Yeah. So touring. Yeah. So how did you get on their radar and, and what's it been like? Like they've been putting out all of your records since then, I guess, except for like the apartment one. Yeah. Yeah. Rightfully so. They, they didn't want anything to do with that record <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and we're, we're totally cool with me putting it out especially at the time because it was that was the beginning of the pandemic so yeah it was it was a nice thing to uh to put out at that time um yeah i that ended up coming about well the first time i met mike timmons uh in the junkies was through josh finlison because the skydiggers have been signed to Leighton since i think well, the late uh, 2008, 2009, something like that. It was after we made, uh, Josh, Tim and I made the, the record together. He uh, he wanted to introduce me to Mike and, and also uh, demo some songs. So he took me over to their old space, their old studio. And uh, I played a bunch of songs that ended up being on the next record, Traveling Gray. And, uh, yeah, so I demoed the songs and you know Mike dug them and he uh he emailed me and uh we're sort of like loosely talking about making a record together and and uh and he was saying like well I, I wouldn't be able to put a record out you know this year or next year it'd have to be the following year because there was too many uh projects on the go and like you know budgeting and stuff like that you know he couldn't put it out and i don't know it's like when i look back on it now it's so stupid but you know whatever i'm like 25 at the time 24 yeah 24 and and uh and i'm like no i'm i'm ready to make a record now <laughs> you know i want to make a record now and and put it out and he's like well you know sorry so that didn't work out i moved on you know i put out the next record uh whatever you know but all things happened for a reason we still kept in touch and and everything was cool uh so 2013 i'm i'm about to go see uh the skydigger is a hughes room here in toronto and, and i get out of the subway and i'm walking I end up seeing uh, Noel Webb, their drummer, walk into the the venue. So I catch up with him and we're talking and he's like, he's raving about the Cowboy Junkies new studio. And, I, uh, you know, I was telling him, yeah, I'm, I'm gearing up to, you know, I really want to start recording a new record. And he's like, oh, well, you got to check out this new studio and, you know, talk to Mike. And so he told me where it was and, and uh 
I guess I had Mike's email anyways. So I, I emailed Mike the next day or whatever it was. And he was like, yeah, sure. Come by. So I came by and we got to talking. I looked at the space and I was, he was asking me, well, what kind of record do you want to make? And we, we started talking and uh, I gave him the last couple records I had made. I'd, I'd put out a record in 2012 called Some Folks Know. And um, I gave him those two records. And uh, yeah, we were just talking more. And then he he said, you know, I would love to, to you know, make this record. And, um, and we offered to put it out on the label. And, you know, that was great. You know, like, uh, I mean, I'd been, I mean, you don't, you don't need to be on a label. I mean, we all know that. I mean, I'd already put out six records on my own not that i really had the money to to do anything with them and i i was i was so i mean i was like thirty thousand dollars in debt at, at the point of this conversation with mike you know yeah i was like so you know talk about like throwing your your uh, you know just going for it right um but yeah uh so we yeah like i i was you know I still had it in my mind that like part of success or whatever it was, or like a goal was to get signed, you know, and I was always trying to get labels interested and nobody was ever interested in me. Like some of them would dangle, you know, a carrot in front of me. There's like a few labels that, that's, uh, you know, were doing that. And eventually they, they would be like, you know, I don't know what to do with this. And, and you know, I get the rejection slip or whatever. So I was I was pretty down the dumps at this this point, you know. Like I was I was actually going through the lowest point, you know, of my life up to that point. You know, it seemed like everything was going wrong around me, and and uh, so it was really great to have somebody like him that I I already had so much respect for to be actually taking a chance on somebody that, you know, the industry was deeming like a risk or something, you know? Yeah. Hey there again, folks. As we approach the halfway point of today's episode, I'd like to thank you for tuning in. You're listening to the Northern Report podcast. I'm your host, Sean Burns, and our guest today is Jerry Legere. I'll remind you to follow along with the Northern Report podcast and our playlist on Spotify. Subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts. You can listen on YouTube, our anchor.fm page, or wherever you find your podcasts. It was great to get to know Jerry a little deeper during our conversation to learn about his path to being signed by Leighton Records. Like any artist willing to make the sacrifice and complete commitment to the work and lifestyle, the highs are high. And the lows, well, they can take you to some scary places in your mind. Fortunately, Jerry found a community and a label who really believed in him and his songs. Call it luck, sure, maybe a little. But as the saying goes, luck is not chance, it's toil. And fortune's expensive smile is earned. Yeah, it was, it, it was really, it was a great experience making that record. 
but I was actually thinking about it recently. And, and I, as it happens, because I was in such a bad place at the time, I, I really, it's a real like foggy memory for me because I, I wasn't taking care of myself. And, and, uh, and, and a big thing was my, my grandmother passed away. She was sick during that time. And then she passed away the week we were uh, recording the album. Oh, bummer. And, uh, yeah, so it was very, uh, it was a very weird time. And then a, a friend of mine passed away suddenly while he was on the road. And that was like really, it was just a really strange, strange circumstances where, you know, I felt like if the day I was going to sign a record contract, like I, like I'm going to remember this, but I have such a, foggy memory of that taking place you know and, yeah. and uh but then when the album came out like i knew that i had to like you know get my act together and and you know book some tours and and really push the album because i was given this opportunity so i really had to like uh, uh dig myself out of this hole and and uh which i you know i did and and uh you know yeah and it's been it's been great since then you know mike's really supportive you know and the record we made after that nonsense and heartache like here i am like i'm nervous if like i'm even like still gonna be on the label you know after early riser and stuff like that and then mike phones me one day with this great idea Hey, would you be interested in making a double album? <laughs> I was like, "What? Like, when does this ever happen?" You yeah, know, like, yeah. you know, Lucinda Williams like left her label, Lost Highway, because they refused to put out her double record, uh, uh, "Down Where the Spirit Meets the Bone." So she left and started her own label, and and here I am, like, it's like, yeah, well, I got the songs, you know, like, let's do it, and. And he had a real cool um, approach to it where he was like, you know, there's still a lot of people that uh, don't know your music. Like, I think it'd be great if we made two very different albums and put them under the same roof. And and both those records really showcase like your two, the two musical directions you go into. So Nonsense was this like rock and roll gritty bluesy you know garage mm -hmm. rocky kind of record and then you know rockabilly all that that kind of like electric stuff that i love and then heartache was this more you know uh acoustic or you know for lack of a better uh genre like singer songwriter folk kind of yeah, more kind of record, more of the you know? piano ballady kind of things. Not ballad in the traditional sense of the term, but you know, like kind of more low key singer songwriter for sure. Yeah, exactly. So that was that was a really cool idea. You know, I, I was only concerned that um, when it came out that people would would uh, and especially like journalists and stuff like that that they wouldn't really pay attention to the whole concept behind it. And then maybe they would think like, Oh, there's too much information or, you know, and kind of, uh, you know, put it down or whatever. But when that record, when nonsense and heartache came out, uh, it was, 
it was initially quite the opposite of Early Riser, the reaction, because Early Riser came out and it didn't really sell that well, but but there was a lot of great press for it and like like all at once, like Globe and Mail and Toronto Star and Pop Matters and you know, all these these uh great reviews for it. And then Nonsense and Heartache came out here and you know, Exclaim reviewed it. And then after that, it, I mean, there's some people reviewed it, but it was it was a bit quiet on the the press front. So I, f- I thought like, you know, at the time I was like, oh, shit, you know, like double record, like maybe that scared people off. But then a year later, the album was re-released overseas through uh, this label distributor, Proper Music, and it was re-released there. And, and I, they really you know, dug the whole concept and vibe of it. And that really, that's really what like started uh, getting me more attention over there. Like I'd had like little, you know, trickles in the past with with records, but there wasn't really much. And Nonsense and Heartache, like really, it started getting a good amount of attention over there so yeah you guys would have been over there a, a, a number of times i guess and you've toured through the united states as well like i think and all over canada like had you been doing the hard touring before early riser yeah yeah okay. i had been uh yeah i went to the states about four times and i just did as a duo with dan and you know some of the best shows that i played actually were there and and uh, I did two shows in Nashville, uh, part of this concert series, Music City Roots, uh, that's hosted by Jim Lauderdale. Yeah. And uh, I did that in 2010 and, and 2011, and those were great. And I did some other shows that were really fun. I uh, opened for the Sadies at this crazy bar called The Bug Jar in Rochester. That was pretty cool. You're booking um, yourself at this point? Yeah, and I you know, and I still do. Like I I I thankfully I do have after our first tour overseas, which I booked myself, which you know took years off my life, but I'm <laughs> no glad kidding. that I did yeah. it. Uh because then I end up picking up an agent after that, and I've been thankful for that. But in the States I didn't have anybody and here in Canada, I, I still don't have anybody, you know, like a, it's, wow. it's uh, which is very, you know, it's at the point now where it's very odd to me that, that you know, we, we haven't found somebody cool to, to jump on board, but anyways, whatever, you know, I'm, I've, I, I've toured Canada a lot now that it's, it's pretty quick to, to get tours together and stuff, but the States was, uh yeah that was you know like a uh, that was definitely many hours of like research and work and emails and and I'm sure as you know you know it's like for every 100 emails you you send out you get one back and eventually I was getting those tours together and I mean the sad thing about me touring in the states was it was starting to get better but I was just like you know, I was just, you know, uh, the, the losing my shirt. I was losing like drawers of shirts. Like I was losing so much money. It was like an open wound of, of like, it was like a gash of money spilling out. So it was really expensive to like 
to go over there and then you're dealing with work permits and all this, you know, so. Yeah. And you're just taking one other guy with you. You're not even bringing your full band, right? Yeah, I couldn't. Yeah. I mean, I, there's no way I would have been able to, to do that. So yeah, I haven't been back to the, the States in, in quite some time, but, uh, you know, I'm hoping with the next record, you know, in 2022, well, we can, we can, if everything of course is, is cool and stuff, we can go back there. I'd, I'd like to, you know, there's, there's different promoters and, and, uh, in pockets that, that uh, have expressed interest in, in getting me there. So um, I would like to get back there because I, I, yeah, we toured there. Yeah, it was 2008, 2009. Yeah, I think we did it for every year up until 2011. And, and then that was, that was it. But uh, I mean, yeah, that's, that's the configuration that I first saw you in. Like uh, we said earlier, just you and your bass player, Dan. And when I walked in, uh, I'll be honest with you. I was like, I was like, oh shit! Like it's acoustic guitar and electric bass. Like I've I've very rarely seen anyone pull that off. But not only did you guys yeah. pull it off, but it's like super strong. And Dan is a great bass player and sings really good harmony with you too. Uh, so wh- when did you find him, and and how long has the the situation been together as a band? Oh yeah, why well, I, I agree. By the way, I. Uh... Yeah, great bass player and a beautiful harmony singer. I mean, he's he has a great voice and yeah. he's a great musician. And I think also he's a great bass player because it's not his first instrument. He's he's actually an amazing guitarist. So uh, he and and he's a songwriter and and he had bands before that he fronted. So he really knows how to back me up uh, as a singer songwriter and stuff like that. he plays it's, really uh, tasty parts like like basil donovan like uh you know the elvis costello and the attractions it's like he's playing sometimes he's playing a lot of notes but they're not getting in your way and it's all really yeah. musical like it, it really adds a lot like a huge fan of his playing well yeah we met dan through james mckay uh who was in the situation for a long time and it was his uh it was his birthday bash He's having a birthday bash in, in uh, 2007. What are your tunes like when you bring them to the guys? Like, are they pretty fleshed out or are you sort of trying to include them uh, in building the, the, the tunes? Well, I usually have a, a, like a feel in mind, you know. Uh, yeah, I, I have some sort of structure in my head of how I want the arrangements to be. but. I'm definitely, I definitely want them to bring themselves into it. You know, like I've, I haven't, yeah, sometimes there would be like, if there, there was like a lead part or like a riff, you know, James would play that even though like I came up with it, but I'm, you know, holding down the rhythm or whatever. And, and, uh, you know, there might be like a certain drum idea that I have or like a, a bass part, but for the, for the most part, they're, you know, they're bringing their arrangement ideas, like they're, they're feeding off, you know, what I'm doing when I'm presenting it. Like it, it's always depending on like, you know, how soft or how hard I'm playing it or the kind of uh, rhythm style. Um, but then other times, uh, you know, they'll, they'll do, they will change the feel or groove of the song. Like there was one that I, we were, we were, 
doing really well in the studio, like getting through a bunch of songs for the nonsense part of the album. And, you know, I was like starting to run out of songs. So I was like, oh, well, I have this one. I don't know if it's anything. You know, I like the words, but I, I didn't really know what it was. And I just started playing and instantly Kyle started getting into this this groove. Uh, for this song, she's the best writer you've never heard of. You know? And uh, yeah, he just got into this groove and it totally wasn't something I would have thought about. But it did give it this kind of like John Lennon, Plastic Ono Band quality to it so stuff like that will happen you know like a lot of the songs wouldn't come across the way they do without their involvement but i i, I do usually have an, an idea of how i i want the the song to sound overall but but i certainly you know i'm not writing everybody's parts like i i i, I want them to have that that's uh that freedom to to contribute to it. It's impressive though that you've been able to have the same guys, say, you know, for the most part now for what over ten years. Yeah, well, I mean, we're friends, you know. That's the that's really important. That's a good part of it. Yeah. Uh, we're friends, and and they're great players. Like anytime I've made a record, you know, I've never thought about using a different drummer. You know, there was mm. one thing we did uh, a film thing that uh that Leighton was doing called Leighton Lounge where it was uh, a series of shows that mixed all the 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 artists on the roster and Kyle was on the road with uh Whitney Rose he was playing drums with her for a couple tours so he wasn't around so we had Noel from the Diggers sit in for him who who did a great job but of course it's it's not the same, you know, like oh, Kyle yeah. just has like him and I, you know, and Dan, but like, you know, Kyle and I have been playing since we were teenagers. We just have this, you know, like we read each other's minds. Like he always knows where I'm going to go with things, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty special, you know, it's, uh, you know, I, I compare it to, you know, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers or the e Street Band or, you know, the attractions when the time's, we're good yeah. uh or his band now the imposters it's like that that kind of you know where yeah i'm steering the ship and it's my name in france and it's kind of you know all the bs is on my shoulders but you know i do think of us as uh we are a band and we are in this together and and uh you know i'm i'm a, a pretty democratic when it comes to a bunch of things, of course, you know, like final decisions and I, you know, I'm going to do what I want to do, but, but I am, you know, uh, I do like getting their opinions on things and, and their, their input. Um, so I do think of us as like a bit of a, bit of a family, you know, um, it sounds like a band, like you guys have been successful in the studio for me as a listener. Like it doesn't sound like here's Jerry and you know, whoever band behind you. Like it, it sounds like a band. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Time out for tomorrow, especially. Yeah. I think, you know, that's, I, I'm really proud of that record. You know, at first I was pretty bummed out when, when the, you know, COVID really, kicked in the gear and and that that 
it, for the first time in my career, it felt like there was this, you know, this, there was this real, uh, this momentum with that mm. record, you know? Yeah, you guys and, were and going to the, Europe, right? Like you had a whole string. Yeah, and then we're going to do, yeah, across Canada and all that stuff. And then things stopped. But, you know, there's always more records to make. And it actually did succeed in 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 different ways, that record. And it's been like certainly the best selling so far. You know, I've definitely gained more fans with that record. And I'm really proud of it you know like that record the sound that's in my head that i'm you know that we're always striving for when we go into the studio like you, you know you get that there's that sound in your head and you're always you never get there and i didn't get there with time out for tomorrow but that's the closest that i've come to getting what i hear in my head you know yeah but I mean, you you know, you kind of like like a lot of us did. You kind of just uh, just kept kept it going. Like you had to cancel all these tour dates and stuff, but it didn't really keep you down because not long after comes songs from the apartment, which I don't know if you were intending on doing that or if you were just trying to you know do a couple songs or just find something to do. Like what's the what was the story there? Yeah, that wasn't intended to ever come out. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, as we were getting into uh, March and there was like the stay at home orders and I was pretty stressed out from having to cancel these tours and, you know, not knowing how I was going to recoup a lot of the money that had already been put into promoting the shows and stuff like that. So I, I, I thought about putting like a collection of songs out and I had all these songs just sitting there because some of them were, were songs that, that, uh, you know, just weren't chosen as, as contenders to go into the studio for time out for tomorrow or nonsense and heartache or early riser. There's, well, there's one song that, that, um, you know, could have been on Early Riser if, if we'd gone to the studio with it. But I always love the songs, you know. There's there's always a lot of great songs that never see the light of day just because there's too many. And 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 with records, they have to like live in a certain world. You know, there's like you're you're almost like telling a story. So they have to go with each other. Or you have a bunch of songs that are too similar in feel. You know, they're they're both or three of them are amazing songs, but they all kind of have a, they're all kind of saying the same thing. So I, I went through those and it was quite therapeutic for me. And, and uh, I decided to put it out on vinyl because it, it, it gotten such a great reaction from fans and supporters. And, and it's turned into like one of my favorite records because uh, there's just a real raw, intimacy about it because i'm 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 not thinking besides mike timmons you know the producer i'm not thinking anybody's ever going to hear these songs and some of these demos were actually most of them were recorded like you know a minute after i finished writing it so there's just this real uh immediacy about it um and and it's very relaxed so i'm 
I'm very, uh, I'm happy that I put it out. You know, some of the songs that you can hear like a page turning. Or <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cars outside or. I like that shit. You know, like, yeah, me too. You know, like yeah. I love Tom Waits and I love, you know, Neil Young. And I mean, I've always kind of had that, even with Time Out for Tomorrow, like, you know, the band and my vocals, that stuff's all live. You know, I mean, there are overdubs, but I, I never go overkill. I always think. In, in terms of like you got a limited amount of space you know you only have so many tracks that you can fill on the on the tape you know so uh, it, it keeps you more disciplined so you don't go um crazy after songs from the apartment like comes some more singles and deluxe editions of some recent records uh, the poetry book just like the Nightbirds, uh just like impressive output and all of it is really really great like uh and well, you thanks, man. yeah and you've got some stuff about to come out uh right away here it'll probably be by the time the interview airs i'm sure it'll be it'll be out to the world so if you want to tell me a little bit about that yeah the yeah i'm uh, putting out this uh film and it's actually only going to be available to i like to call it fan club members but really it's email subscribers mm-hmm. and they'll get a link um of the newsletter that gets sent out um, June 10th will have a link to stream the movie and that that link will be available uh, till the end of uh, June 15th and it's just exclusive to 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 those you know like fans and and supporters and the movie's called uh, the apartment show he never gave which is uh that's that's a nod to uh the, the Canadian made movie, uh, Hank Williams, the show he never gave yeah. with, uh, Sneezy Waters, which was filmed here in Toronto in, in 1980. And I grew up on that movie. My grandfather, uh, you know, watched all the time and I have his, uh, his VHS copy of it. Oh shit. That's it, cool. Yeah. And it still holds up. It's a great movie. I, yeah. I really, I really enjoy it. I, w- I wish I could go back in time and, and I, I could have seen, you know, like uh, it, it on the road, you know, because he was doing the the, the tours, uh, playing that as like a live theatrical show. In the in the 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 tag, one of the taglines, it, it it says that it's a a film of of blurred reality, music, and poetry, and and uh, and what that is is yeah, there's it's performances of of me playing songs here in the apartment um some songs from the apartment record from time out for tomorrow and also through the years even the song called ratatat from the first album but then there's also kind of artsy footage that i filmed and that's set to me reading some of the the poems from the just the Nightbirds book how how long does the whole thing run it's just under an hour nice and and yeah, it was something that I just like with the poetry book, you know, we've been off the road and it allowed me to to try a few things that are, are a bit uh, of a challenge for me um, or out of the box or whatever you want to call it. Like the poetry book I've been wanting to do since I made this uh, this album called uh, Don't Lose Your Beauty in 2016 under uh, the name The Bop Fies. And that was a bunch of friends playing jazz music and I, I read poetry over time. Oh, cool. 
you know yeah yeah and the, you know the 50 people that that uh bought that album uh, <laughs> you know I, I i don't know if if they're still listening to it but it was just something i wanted to do and at the time i wanted to put it out with a poetry book with with the the poems that i read and then like a whole bunch of others but it just really i didn't have the time and and uh because it's it's quite like you know you need time to get that together and man we've had nothing but that so and yeah like how that i mean that's where i started like as a little kid you know i was writing words trying to to write words uh before i got into music and my uh, grade six teacher mr swigu he was he was very supportive of of uh of of uh me pursuing that you know and and I was always angry though because we had the whole class had to write poems and he was really like into what I was writing because I was writing like you know beyond my years yeah. only because I was because of the music I was listening to and I was already a huge Leonard Cohen fan by then I didn't even really understand what I was writing but <laughs> I was writing this kind of darker stuff but then we had to do this exercise where it was like this stupid, you know, we had to, you know, it was kind of like a roses are red kind of poem, you know, and I hated it, but I just did it because it was part of the assignment. And at the end of the year, he put together this poetry book, which had like a poem from each kid in the class. And that's the poem he put in there, you know, (laughs) I was so angry and he he was explaining, well, you know, the parents, like I, if I put one of your other poems in there, you know, I'd probably get fired, but I was so angry. I wanted all those, those books destroyed. Yeah. Or at least, sorry, I, I, at least my poem ripped out of them, not destroyed. <laughs> you, you probably, uh, I assume, uh, you write every day. Well, I write, you know, I'll write, uh, some days it's just like a little idea or line and yeah, other times it's, it's, uh, there's usually something, you know, I'll write a bunch of songs or, or, or poems that don't get turned into songs. You know, there'll be like a period where a bunch of that just like bursts out. And other, other times it's just like lines here or there or like, a you know, a paragraph of words, but, uh, but yeah, I, I like to, to stay active because I, I have this mentality that it, it keeps like the, the wheels lubricated in my mind, you know? Uh, are you writing lyrics first? Like, are you bringing the, the lyrics that you've written to your guitar or are you writing together like guitar in hand? Well, those are the best ones. You know, uh, I love when that happens, when the, when the words and music come at the same yeah. time. Um, generally I have, there's more cases where I have words first, just because I, I write more, uh, lyrics than, um, than melodies. So there's, there's usually more words hanging around that I'll, I'll, you know, I'll find a melody for it or, or whatnot, but the, the best times is when it, it all comes together. You know, it's, it's pretty, uh, mystical in that way. Uh, f- any favorite Jerry Legere songs? Uh, I always love this one called Treating You Good on Traveling Gray. Um, I've also uh, rediscovered a song on my Some Folks Know album called Old Soldier, which I, I originally wrote 
kind of like a Lightfoot type tune. And, and that was actually a case where I wrote the words years before and I was just flipping through a notebook and I saw those words and I was like, wow, this is just, you know, I already heard the music in my head, like when I was like reading the words, cause they had like a certain rhythm to it. So that when I rediscovered those words, the music came very quickly. And, um, and I like how we did it with the band, you know, it turned from like a Lightfoot song to this real, like a faster country rock, like barn burner on the album. But lately I've been playing it more how it was written and, and uh, uh, fallen in love with it again. But uh, yeah, I like those and I really love a piano ballad I did, uh, Pawn Shop Piano on, on Nonsense and Heartache. And oh, and, and on Time Out for Tomorrow, a song called I Would. I, I, I love the simplicity of it. And uh, like, that's just, I think, one of my favorite songs that I've written because I, it just, it, it sounds, I could hear somebody else doing it, you know? Has, uh, has the way that you're writing or the amount that you're writing changed since you've been home and off the road? Yeah. I mean, uh, cause yeah, cause I've had way more time. So I, I definitely, and, and, uh, I was gifted a, an old four track some months ago. I had a different four track throughout high school that I used a lot, but that, you know, I had it repaired so many times that it just wasn't worth it anymore. So I had this one, um, which is the model after the one Springsteen used for Nebraska, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool. So I was gifted this and, and just like in high school, it's like it motivated me more to like write even more songs. I was having so much fun like working on the four track and like layering stuff. So, and it's been very helpful because I haven't been able to play with the band and Mike and I right now are narrowing down songs of like what we're going to go into the studio with. And so these four track demos have been great. So like sketch out ideas. So I ended up demoing like close to 50 songs. So it's been quite a task, like, you know, right now we're trying to narrow it down to 14 tunes, but it's, yeah, I, I wouldn't have written that many songs if I'd been on the road. Cause I, I'm one of those people that, uh, I mean, not that I've tried very hard, but like, I don't, I don't find it easy to write on the road because you're constantly moving, you know, like we're yeah. a lot of times we're playing in a different town every night and there's, you know, and then uh, hopefully you're doing some sort of press to help, like, you know, promote the shows and whatnot. So I don't tend to write a lot on the road. So I definitely would have written less songs. Yeah. So when are you guys planning on going into the studio for this next one? Well, if uh, if the numbers are down and everything seems to be getting better, we're hoping to get back in in uh, July. Oh, nice. uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm hoping for that. Cause we are, I don't want to say too much, but definitely the, the goal, the idea is to have the new album out. Um, and well, I think we have to have a new album out in April before we, uh, uh, resume touring again. Cause that's when we have a bunch of dates on the books. Uh, our, our dates over the tours overseas have been rescheduled for, for April 
of next year and stuff like that. And I mean, time out for tomorrow, like it's, you know, it's, yeah, we can't, uh, I, 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 yeah, we're, we'll have a new record out in time, but it does, it, it does mean that, with the, uh, you know, getting some other things in a row. So it, like having this four track to sketch out the ideas has, has been very useful because we'll have more of an idea like when we go in to just you know knock it out think you that uh, in the future you would release some of the ones that don't make the record from the four track as another collection of their own you know i i have thought of that because i do really like i you know these little machines they just have like a sound to them you know they have oh, yeah. a real vibe to them and i run them through echo which just kind of gives it a, a, a some extra warmth and and yeah there's certain songs that that just you know they work very well on it so yeah you know uh i i could see that happening at, at some point like putting out a little collection of of uh of tunes on it you guys have a, a like a pretty solid run shaped up, I guess, for all those rescheduled dates. And then would the plan be to uh, to come across Canada as well at some point next year? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I want to get back. Yeah. Out west and out east. And yeah, I want to do it all. You know, I'm 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 definitely missing the road. You know, it's part of the it's, it's part of the uh, what keeps the pulse going. So I'm looking forward to that dynamite well thanks for uh thanks for taking the time to talk to me man i've, I've taken up enough of your yeah. day it's nice to catch up with you I, I appreciate you uh appreciate you joining me here on the program yeah man thank you thanks uh, it was great talking with you and, and uh yeah i hope to see you in the flash next year absolutely we'll have to have to you know we got space for you boys to crash here in winnipeg when you come through so cool man can't wait beauty thanks a lot jerry good to talk to you man hey yeah great to talk to you too man okay talk to you soon yeah we'll talk to you soon well friends i hope you enjoyed my chat with jerry legere and i'll thank him once again for taking the time to talk with me listen to jerry's impressive collection of records wherever you stream music for a nominal monthly fee though i encourage you to head to his bandcamp page jerrylegere.bandcamp.com or to his website, jerrylegere.com. You can also find his work with both the Delphi's and the Bopfi's on Bandcamp or on your preferred streaming service. Follow along with the Northern Report Spotify playlist to hear music from the folks that I've covered in the Honky Tonk Times column, as well as right here on the podcast. Remember to like, subscribe, follow, share, give us a rating, a good one, I hope. And uh, I thank everyone for doing that so far. Our logo was created by Boots Graham of Boots and the Hoots, Central Alberta's finest honky-tonkers. Music on the show today, courtesy of Sean Burns and Lost Country, The Divorcees, and Skinny Dick. From local legends, to regional stars, to the cream of the Canadian crop, you'll find it all here on the Northern Report. Thanks for tuning in, folks. We'll chat later. Hey, bud, what you got for us tonight? A bird just landed. Now it's gone.